a story of how God draws us to himself. And sometimes the best way is to put how he draws us back to himself. I want to invite John Morkin up to the stage here. And I've invited John to tell you a slice of his story and the grace and mercy of God in his life. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Peace with God. Uh, Christmas season brings the word peace to mind. I remember a time of my life where I was at war with God. And that's the testimony I want to give today. And I, I titled it, Persevering Prayer. There's a great truth that holds me firm on which I stand, and that, that is that Jesus, right now, this moment, yesterday, today, tomorrow, is praying for me. How can I lose? In 1970, I know some of you are saying, 1970? <laughs> I, I, I know, some of you weren't born. Listen up, listen up. I was a student at the University of California. I was 20 years of age. I was a devout Christian but I was misguided in how to develop my Christian walk. I was trying to be righteous, trying to be perfect in my own strength. Religiosity. I made many mistakes during that period, but I think the worst that led to what happened was that I was a Lone Ranger Christian. I was at the University of California, not in a church, not even in a Christian study group. Those were turbulent days. The inevitable, I think the inevitable, happened. I walked away from God. And let me say, it's not that I didn't believe that God existed. I knew he existed. My rebellion was very different. I just simply declared independence. I told him. I remember now hearing myself say to this, to him, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I declared independence and I walked away. My way started off leading into student radicalism. Radicalism actually became almost the way you could describe my lifestyle, my philosophy, my way of thinking. For the next 10 years, I did not call Jesus Lord. That's 10 years from 20 to 30. But I'm not going to talk about those years except to say here that during those years, I walked away from him but he didn't walk away from me. He was still with me, protecting me. I made a lot of bad choices during that time period, and I live the consequences of those choices even today. However, there could have been, should have been, far worse consequences that God protected me from. But this isn't the testimony. It's not about the garbage of my past. It's about God's restoration. The fact is that Jesus led me back just as he allowed me to stray in the first place. And God used his saints to help accomplish this. You see, not only was Jesus praying for me during these years, but scores of other people were as well, including, most of all, my parents, David and Helen Morkin. David and Helen had six children. I was the youngest. They were godly folks serving the Lord faithfully as missionaries in Asia for many years. There is no doubt that God, excuse me, forgive me, that Satan targeted them because of who they were in their service. 
in a short period of time in 1970, four of their six children walked away from the Lord. Now, in my case, it was not only that I walked away from the Lord, I walked away from them. I declared myself independent of my heavenly father and my earthly father. I broke off all relationship. We simply did not talk. But my parents and others continued to pray and to trust his word. One day, it was in 1974, my mother woke up totally despondent, heartbroken. She told my father, I must speak with Corey. I will do anything she tells me to do. They lived in, Corey, in uh, California at the time. Corey Ten Boom had been their friend for years. So that's what they did. They went to see her with my mother pouring her heart out. Corey told her, Helen, I see you as a mother fighting for her children by grasping them to your heart, to your bosom, grasping them like this. My mother said defensively, well, why shouldn't I? They're God's gift to me. I'm their mother and they're my children. Corey replied, I would like to see you with your arms not around them, but with your hands raised heavenward, surrendering them to God. Mother said, do you mean like Abraham offering up Isaac? And Corey said, yes, exactly. So my parents also were being taught by God to trust him. Over the next two years, the three, my three siblings who had also wandered returned back to the Lord, but not me. Fast forward, it's now the summer of 1976, just as radical as ever. I'm a student at NYU Law School, living on the Lower East Side, East 12th between A and B, alphabet soup. Seventh floor walk up on the sixth floor. My rent was 103 bucks a month, a studio apartment. I had not had any significant contact with my parents for almost six years. I got a call from my dad. They were going to be in New York City. They wanted to see me, but I didn't want to see them. I knew we would just argue, condemning each other, recriminations. But I don't know why I said, okay, come. But I was certainly not looking forward to it. Well, wouldn't you know, we had a wonderful time together. Not one word of acrimony, not one word of condemnation, just love. I can picture them now, midnight sitting down, looking, looking outside my, from the sixth floor down on the teeming streets below, saying to me how marvelous it was that I lived in such an interesting place. I think it reminded them of the slums in Shanghai or Hong Kong. <laughs> <clears throat> when they had gone, I was left knowing one fact. They were better people than I was. My bitterness had been trumped by their forgiveness. My heart began to soften. And so began my walk back to God. It was not an easy road, taking another four years. But it began that weekend when my parents <laughs> visited. You see, God used them. The spirit of Jesus in them met me, called to me. And I began, only began, to turn towards him. Eventually, I came back to him. I began to speak to him again, and he to me. Now, all through those years of testing, my parents claimed the promises of God, and they prayed and relied on those promises. One verse in particular served as an anchor, Isaiah 49, verse 20. I will contend with him who contends with thee, and I will save your sons. They prayed that prayer. And most importantly, 
most significantly, Jesus prayed and prays that prayer all the time. He's faithful, and I'm ever grateful. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks, brother. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. Your scripture is printed in your program on the back of the sermon outline. As we are studying through the life of Abraham, we come to this time where he was visited by angels, the Lord and several angels. They're described as men because they looked like men. We learn later they were angels. And when angels visit... Sometimes there's a lot of laughter, right? And we saw that. They actually created laughter in Abraham and in Sarah, and they gave them a son whose name was He Laughs, Isaac, which means He Laughs. But other times when angels appear, it is not so happy. And this is one of those moments For now, they're going to leave the tents of Abraham and Sarah. And we pick up in verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done, if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham, the good lawyer that he is, negotiates down 40, 30, even to 10. But then the conversation is over. For there are not even 10 righteous there, and the Lord leaves him. So the angels are sent to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Martin read for us the beginning of chapter 19 last week. And how, when the angels were there, 
The wickedness of the city overcame them, and even the men of the city turned out to have perverse sexual relations with them. And it is a horrible moment. We pick it up that these angels now are ready to warn that destruction is imminent upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you're new to the Bible, maybe you've never heard this story. This might be the first time you've ever heard this. Picking up in verse 14 of chapter 19. Actually, I'll start in verse 12. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy this city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angel urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When Lot hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as he had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a small town near enough to run to. And it's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land, Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including those living in the cities, also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overturned the cities where Lot had lived. So far the reading of God's word. What a remarkable moment. Now you can never say, I've never heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the gospel of Jesus Christ that is found in this great story. 
What do we see? We see several points. You have them in your outline before you. We see that God tells you His plan. Pay attention. We see that God waits for your response. Respond to Him. We see that Abraham responds, Jesus Christ responds, and you respond. And number four, we believe that God's sovereign grace will triumph over this mess. Are you with me on this? Let's look at this passage together. The Lord shares His plan with Abraham in verses 16 through 21. And as you work through this text, you see that the Lord deliberates. He talks to Himself about what He should do in verses 17 and 18. And then He decides what He will do in verse 19. And then He reveals His plan in verse 20 and 21. He wonders, should I talk about this with Abraham? And uh, he says, and you see how he reasons with himself. And the Lord says, yes, I will talk about this with Abraham. Why? Because I have chosen him. I have set my particular affection on Abraham. And so I should talk to the one I love about what I'm going to do in this world so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And here you see, I hope, yourself. Here you see us, we who are sitting here. You know, when I talk about now you've heard, well, what do I mean now you've heard? Well, we are told in Ephesians 1.4, for He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And just as He set Abraham apart, and just as He then set Israel apart, now He sets you and me apart, you, church, to be set apart. And He doesn't leave you ignorant of His plan. He tells you what He's going to do. And I love this about our God. He's not going to act independently without cluing us in. So the Lord says, Abraham, I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, for their evil has reached my ears. I've seen it with my eyes. What were the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, we know that it involves some extreme uh, 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 displays of sexual depravity, um, and that's obvious, but there is so much more. And in fact, in the book of Ezekiel, this is very interesting, there is this verse that for some people is obscure, where Ezekiel says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, Overfed and unconcerned, they did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. And we are given a chilling explanation of why they were detestable in God's eyes. Yes, there were all the detestable acts and the detestable things that they did, but also they were this picture of a luxurious community concerned with their own pleasure and unconcerned with the poor and needy in their land and in their midst. They just didn't care. And they were arrogant. Do you know the word haughty? They just thought they were better than others. God said, that was worthy of my fire and brimstone, the burning sulfur that fell upon them.
What do we learn here? We learn that God is not ignorant of a single one of my sins or your sins or of the 27 million New Yorkers that live around us. He is not ignorant. And even more profound is that God is not unmoved by them that there is judgment to come. Remember when Cain killed Abel? Does anyone recall what God said, what he heard? He said, the blood of your brother cries out to me. I hear it. Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. In the New Testament, James says that those people who, those employers who fail to pay the wages of their employees. It says, that sin cries out against you for your oppression of your people. He's saying sins cry out to God. And I, I find this overwhelming that not a single one is missed by God. How? How could he record them all? You know, yesterday I was a bad husband. We were shopping in Target, and we got to the checkout line, and the checkout line was so long that I said, Nina, I think I'm going to go over to the electronics department, if you don't mind staying here in the line. I did what any good husband would do, right, brothers? You know, I mean, I'll stay with the cart if you want, but if you don't want, I'm going to go over. And so I went over to the electronics section, and I found myself in the movie section, all these movies for sale. And I had the Christmas spirit, you know, and I'm looking for Charlie Brown's Christmas. And I walked down the aisle, and I saw movie after movie after movie of violence and of betrayal and of corruption all sort of wickedness. Friday the 13th and Saw 1, Saw 2, Saw 3, Saw 4, Saw 5, Saw 6. I saw adultery. I saw uh, war and the carnage of war. I saw man's inhumanity to man. I'm standing there feeling overwhelmed. All of this recorded on on a digital disc, all of it recorded. And I thought it is no problem at all for God to record every sin that is committed. It was overwhelming. It was filthy. It was cruel. It was oppressive. God will judge all sin. It rises to his ears. It is before his eyes recorded. Not a problem for him to see it all. And he hears the cries. He hears the cries of a child being beaten by a drunken father. He hears the cry of a of a woman abandoned and left in poverty. He hears the cry of a a man in war being slaughtered, crying out for his mother. He hears the cry uh, of a child. He hears them, but that's just in one village. What about the next village? What about the next town? He hears every sin. Can you hear them? Can you hear them? And they rise to the ears of God. 
Or are you like Sodom, unconcerned, just overfed and happy? You see, here's where some of us are wrestling right now with whether or not the judgment of God is a good thing or a bad thing. I wonder what your opinion right now is. Is this a good thing that God will judge and punish wickedness? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Maybe God's just a bully, a cosmic bully. What do you think? Well, let me ask you what I ask skeptics when I have lunch with, say, an unbeliever who has said, I'm not, I just don't believe your, your Christian message because God is such a big, angry bully up there. And what I say to them is, well, well, where do you think Adolf Hitler is right now? Oh, well, Hitler, Hitler's in, in hell. Yeah. And what kind of God would he be? Would he be good if he just kind of winked at Hitler? Where's Paul Pot? who murdered millions of Cambodians. What kind of God is God? Is he good? How could you call him good if he does not deal straight ahead with evil? That is why he is good, you see. But we live in a world that does not want to hear this. Why? Why in our Western culture? I'll tell you why. Forgive me for being simplistic. Some of you will say, oh, here's John. He's simplistic again. But in the 18th century enlightenment, in the salons of Paris, you had the philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Denis Diderot, and they talked together in Voltaire, and they influenced Western culture to say, we reject this Christian Bible. We reject this message of judgment on sin. Why, this is not for us. And we who are sophisticated, enlightened European people, we, we do not believe that there is punishment for evil or reward in heaven. All that matters is the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, that's all that matters. And so come, Paris, come, Paris, come, Western civilization, and live with us, and forget this notion of sin and punishment, and put behind you this sense of hell or heaven, and learn to seek pleasure and avoid pain, because that's what life is all about. And you see, that has influenced you and everyone around us far more than you realize. God knows every sin, and they offend him. So now let me draw your attention to verse 19 in particular, because he says this, and I only quoted a portion of it before, because I wanted to get to the underlying point now. For I have chosen him, I have chosen Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And here you have the first major reference to family discipleship in the Bible. And God speaks to the men in particular. And he says, husbands, he says, fathers, 
I now call you to teach my ways to your children and to their descendants after you. Teach them to walk in my ways. Teach them to do what is right and just. Teach them to be separate from the world. Fathers, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Could it be any clearer in Ephesians chapter 6? Couldn't be any clearer. So the New Testament carries this on. And of course, all Israel was told the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as well. And so we are called to shepherd our children's hearts. And we are called to, to reach teenagers and answer their questions. They all have questions. They all have the same questions. And we need to be equipped to answer them and support each other in doing this. And raise them to know the Lord. No, you cannot guarantee their faith. Who could be better parents than David and Helen Morkin? And yet, yet they had that season of their life. So I'm not putting guilt on any mother or father whose child should stray or wander. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm saying is you follow the Lord, moms and dads. You follow the Lord and you leave the results to Him. But you do teach them His ways that they may walk in his paths. So God reveals himself to Abraham. He brings him on board into the divine council. Abraham begins to talk, and, uh, and God waits for your response. It's very interesting. Verse 22, the men turned away and went to Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And I love this verse. I love this because he might have just skipped on down to Sodom to watch the fireworks. Instead, he stands before the Lord. Let me tell you what's going on here. God has drawn Abraham into a relationship with himself. And I want you to feel this. This is really wonderful. This is not just religion here. This is what God has for every one of us, a relationship. You know, Jeremiah said, who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? And that's what's going on here. God wants fellowship with you, and he welcomes Abraham. Lisa sang that song, Draw Me Close to You. Do you feel that today? I hope you feel that God is drawing you close to himself. Somebody said to me, and it really upset me, said, oh, that's such a feminine idea, this hold me close business with God. You know, I'm a man. And I said, Abraham would have kicked your butt he was a warrior who destroyed those five kings in battle with fewer soldiers. Abraham was one tough guy. But Abraham said to God, draw me close. Abraham loved to stand before the face of the Lord. So any man, any woman, any child should say, I'm glad to sing, God, draw me close to you. Never let me go. Hold me close. I lay my life down before you. And the Lord waits for a response, and his response is phenomenal. You know what he does? He prays. He goes to prayer. And God's making Abraham into a prayer warrior. Can I just ask you this? Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for the church in your personal devotion? I hope you do. Do you intercede for those you love? I hope you do. 
Do you cry out day after day and even hour after hour on some days? Do you cry out to God, naming those names that we prayed for earlier in the service? Pleading, weeping, crying out to God. Pray. Join us on Wednesday nights. Join us Wednesday nights here. We pray, we intercede for people you love. Don't be the only one naming the ones you love to God. Let us join in and pray with you. Abraham is becoming a prayer warrior. And God, God is also bringing out the shadow of Christ, his ancestor, who will intercede for his people. And Abraham responds, and Jesus Christ responds, and you respond just like this. First, he wastes no time becoming the lawyer. He is a lawyer here, and um, he's a good lawyer. Some of you attorneys here, you pay attention. When you know your client is guilty, you do not spend time protesting his innocence. You find some other case to argue. Because the jury can see right through it. If Abraham had said to God, Oh, Sodom, it's not so bad. They chose an alternative lifestyle. It's not so bad. Everyone is like this today. We must be with the times. They don't, it doesn't speak of a termination of a pregnancy. He doesn't use that kind of term. He doesn't use a word like euthanasia uh, for the destruction of old, weak people. He doesn't speak about this forced redistribution uh, in, when he's talking about stealing. He doesn't plead his client's innocence. Sodom is guilty, and he knows it. But he does talk about God's justice. And he says, all right, will you destroy them if there are 50 righteous people there? And in verse 25, he even poses an answer. This is bold of Abraham. He is a good attorney. He approaches the bar and he says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? He knows no one's going to escape the righteous judgment of God. But maybe there are some righteous there, a minority that would stave off by God's common grace, would hold off. But ultimately, ultimately, the testimony against Sodom will be the testimony of Scripture against all mankind. For Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So Abraham does his best and he responds, but he is only a shadow of the only one who can save people. And you need to believe that God's grace in Jesus Christ, His sovereign grace, is what will triumph over the mess. Because, brothers and sisters, the day of judgment will come. If this is your first time ever hearing the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is a shock to your system. We, we, preach through, we preach through books of the Bible so that we don't just pick and choose what we like to talk about. Okay? It's a strength of our church. Some would call it a weakness of our church because then you have, to, you have to study passages like this. But I think it's a strength of our church that we take the Bible as it comes to us. The day of judgment will come. So here come the angels, right? 
And now they come into the city to fulfill this other mission, to announce the coming destruction and judgment and to lead Lot and his family to mercy. Somehow, Lot does believe in the Lord. Oh, friends, if I had time to develop this, I could show you he has strayed so far from God. He's fallen away from Abraham and out of fellowship with the covenant people. He has stopped engaging in the worship of God. He sure, oh yeah, he got wealthy and he got important. He, he was sitting in the gate. His daughters were popular, but he married a sodomite woman and she didn't want anything to do with the things of God. And they raised their daughters apparently in the sodomite ways. What is he like? Lot is like the Christian man who will not live out his convictions. This is a scary picture for us. That's what Lot is. He is like a Christian man who will not live out his convictions. And he's got sons-in-law, and when they finally hear the message of judgment, how do the sons-in-law respond? They scoff. The angels are not fooling around, however, and they press this, what, the need to flee on Abraham and these resistant, uh, on, his, on Lot. They said, do you have anyone else here? Sons or daughters or sons-in-law who belong to you, get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. They think he's joking. And Lot, here's, this is what about Lot. Again, Lot, it says, he hesitates. It's, it's, it's a little comic relief, I think, in the story. Oh, no. So what do the angels do? Friends, you know how you're saved? Let me tell you how you're saved. You're saved how Lot is saved. <laughs> you think you're smarter than Lot? Maybe you are. I don't know. But I doubt it. You know how we are saved? And the angels took their hand and led them out of the city. And there they went, hand in hand, being dragged out of the city for dawn is coming. And the sulfur and the fire and the brimstone are ready to fall out of heaven on the city. Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Remember Jesus? Jesus talked about this. You see, this is in the Bible again and again and again. Again, if this is your first time in this story, you're going to hear it referenced again and again in the Bible. Remember what Jesus said? <laughs> he said, remember Lot's wife. What in the world was he talking about? Do you recall? Apparently, Lot and his family were so preoccupied with the things of the world that when Jesus is talking about his own return and the great judgment day that Sodom and Gomorrah are just a tiny picture of, when Jesus is talking about his return, he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day they entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same, here's Jesus, he says, it was the same in the days of Lot. 
People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. And no one should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Are you listening? Sodom and Gomorrah was only a hint. Revelation 20, the very end of the Bible, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and all that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What do you do with this? You, who hear this message today, you turn from your sin to the all-powerful God. You feel the hand of the angel in your hand today, pulling you out of Sodom and saying, don't look back. You hear his summons to come and live. You remember that Isaiah cries out, seek the Lord while he may be found. I love this verse. Do you have this verse memorized? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and He will have mercy on them and to our God, for He will freely pardon. There is grace that is greater than all our sin. Abraham was not good enough to save Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh yeah, we need somebody who stands before the Lord. We do need someone who knows our weakness. We do need someone who sympathizes with us. That's why Bernie read Hebrews 4, 14 through 15. We have a great high priest who is like us just as we are, yet who did not sin. So, will you come? Will you come to him? Will you believe that there is a descendant of Abraham's who is the greater descendant who did not just intercede on behalf of the unrighteous, but he himself took the cup of wrath in their place, in your place. He drank that wrath. He felt the fiery furnace of the sulfur and the brimstone. He himself died in your place. Here is the lesson today. Jesus Christ, he lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. Will the judge of all the earth do right? Oh, yes. The judge of all the earth will do right. That's bad news for the wicked, but I'll tell you what. That's good news for us. For he is a savior. And he came first to be the savior before he will return to be the judge. Flee to him. Come to him today. Do not turn away. Yes, time ran out for Sodom, but time has not run out for you. And time has not run out yet for those you love. So call, 
Call to them, love them, love them, love them and treat them, bless them. Let them hear of this mercy of Jesus Christ. Nobody is beyond the reach of his blood. What do you say? Are you thankful? Are you thankful for Jesus Christ who drank the wrath to its very dregs for you? Then follow him. Walk in his ways and teach your children to do the same. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, nothing will hold us back now. Nothing's holding us back. We want to come to you with gratitude in our hearts. We know that you are omniscient. You know all things. We know that you are omnipotent and you have the power to punish sin. So right now, we thank you for the cross. For one better than Abraham, the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for coming in the fullness of time to bear our sins that we might stand and turn to the Lord. Let no one, maybe there's someone here right now, and they say, yes, I'm, I'm very much like Lot's son-in-laws, but they were spared, and, and come, come, Lord, and lead me out, lead me to salvation. Spare me and save me. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Can you say that in your heart of hearts to him today? Don't leave here today without making him your savior. He will save you. If you're feeling his hand in yours, if you feel him plucking you out, leading you in mercy, you rejoice with us as we sing this closing song right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and thank him.